There's somebody here this morning that God has got your number this morning. I don't know who it is, and I don't know if it's just one person or if it's many, because this week I've been, actually for a couple of weeks, I've been working up to today's message, and I was going to preach Mark chapter 5, that story about the dude that's cutting himself, and he's screaming, he's naked, and, and he's demon-possessed, and, and, and when Jesus asked the name of the demon, they said, Legion, for we are many. You remember that story? I was going to preach that story because I've read that story my whole life, but in the last two weeks I have seen, I have had insight into that story like never before. And so I was very excited to preach that this morning, except for the fact that on Thursday, when I was in my study and I was praying for you guys, I had a very clear word from the Holy Spirit, uh, don't preach Mark 5. And I'm like, really? Because I got a good plan. Like, I, I got a good idea. What did I preach? I'm not going to preach Mark 5. And, and very clearly, I, I heard, I want you to preach when you feel like giving up. Here, here's what happens. You know, life is full of adversity. I mean, have you noticed? Uh, um, it, it's full of challenges, obstacles to overcome, mountains to be scaled, problems to deal with. And when you run into one of those challenges and you don't conquer it right away, here's what happens. The enemy of our soul kind of slithers up next to you and begins to whisper lies. It's never going to happen. It's never going to work. Worse than that, there's no meaning. There's no purpose. God, if he exists at all, doesn't really care about you. And here's what the enemy of our soul, Satan, wants to do. He wants you to lose heart. And he's good at it. In fact, last week, Kevin mentioned an article put out by the CDC about uh, the rising rates of suicide across our nation. You're going to see a chart here. If you were to go to, don't Google this now, but if you were to Google this article uh, on the CDC, when I went and read back over it again this week, what struck me, you'll notice there on the legend on the count to the left there that Kentucky is in the highest, the second highest level of suicide increase in the last 17 years. Suicide in Kentucky. I'm not talking about New York, California. In our backyard, suicide has gone up 36.6%. And so for somebody here today, this isn't just a message. This is a matter of life and death. And maybe you're here and and you're you're saying, well, I'm not tempted to give up on life, but maybe you're tempted to to give up on something else. Like maybe maybe you're here and and you're feeling like giving up on what God told you or or, or giving up on your on your faith or giving up on hope that that things can actually change or giving up on the believing that that God is good. And he does. Have you ever been tempted to lose heart? I want to talk to you today about your heart. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to second Corinthians uh, chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 4, and I want to talk to you about what you do when you feel like giving up. It's the whole chapter that is instructive for us today, but I'm going to read just a few portions here and there, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Verse 16, therefore, we 
do not lose heart. Though inwardly, we are wasting away, yet or outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Here's the big idea of 2 Corinthians 4, and it is therefore the big idea of this message. It is this, we do not lose heart. It's important to get that. That is, this is who we are. We're not the people who lose heart. We don't lose heart. And now the reason Paul could say that is because Paul understood some things. He understood, number one, the temptation to lose heart. I mean, if you are here today and you find yourself in a place where you're overwhelmed by the difficulties of life or trouble or if there's pain in your life and and you're just feeling like, I just feeling like I want to give up, I don't have a whole lot of condemnation for you. In fact, just the opposite, I want to say, welcome to the club. And I want to remind you that you're in good company. Even Paul, who wrote this inspiring chapter of faith, he faced difficulty himself. And on one occasion, he felt like giving up. He said, if you went just a few chapters earlier, chapter 1, he says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, listen to this, in our hearts... We felt the sentence of death. This is the Apostle Paul. In his heart, he felt the sentence. But this happened that we might not rely on on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Did you hear that? Paul got to a point where he didn't want to, he wanted to give up and quit. So if the devil has, has, has lied to you this morning, and he's lying to you right now saying, you're the only person who's ever felt this way, let me just tell you, there have been people who were more gifted than you, smarter than you, closer to God than you, who found themselves in a darker place than you. You're not alone. You're not alone. And it's not just Paul that understands. Jesus understands this too. Remember, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he felt like giving up. He even prayed, Father, if it's possible, take this cup, meaning Time out, stop the music, stop the parade. I want to get off the ride. You know what that means? It means that Jesus knows the temptation to lose heart. Paul understood that feeling too, and he came to a place. He despaired even of life, but he didn't stay there. And we can't either. Paul didn't stay there because he understood also, number two, the importance of the heart. See, we can't afford to lose heart. Our hearts are way too important. That's why not once, but twice in this short little text, Paul says, we do not lose heart. Well, why not? I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, so what if we, who cares? Here's the big deal. Your heart is central to all of life. In Scripture, the heart is the causal core of your personhood. It's it's the navigation system. It's the direction system. It's the steering wheel, if you will. Your heart is central to your ability to do life. Your heart is central to your ability to do your marriage, raise your children, pursue a career, to be a whole human being. It's central to all of life. If your heart is bad, it affects everything. How many of you know, it doesn't matter how beautiful your spleen is. If your heart ain't working, you ain't working. 
Think about how we use the word heart, even in the English language. We call a person who has no compassion heartless. We tell them, come on, dude, have a heart. When someone has similar ideas to us, we say they're a person after my own heart. When, when someone gets disappointed, we say they're broken hearted. When someone changes their mind, we say they had a change of heart. A youthful acting adult is young at heart. Uh, you guys are good at this. A, a, a close game that is lost is a heartbreaker. Both Kentucky and Louisville fans had a heartbreaker this week, right? We, so we, we understand we're a broken heart. Um, when we have sympathy for someone, we say my heart goes out to them. When we talk about having heart-to-heart talks, we, when we do something with everything in us, we say we did it with all our heart and we put our heart into it. Why not lose heart? Here's why. Because you need your heart to do life. But more importantly, God wants your heart. If we lose heart, we've lost everything because that's the one thing God wants. For us to love him with all of our heart. Jesus was once asked, the you know, lawyer comes up to Jesus and says, uh, hey, Jesus, what's the most important thing in the world? And he said, what's the greatest commandment is what he said. But the point is, what's the most important thing you're supposed to do? Jesus, without hesitating, said, love God with all your heart. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, the, the chapter that's all about love, he said this. He said, you can speak in tongues. And not just t- you, uh, the tongues of men and of angels. You, you can prophesy. You can give to the poor. You can be a biblical scholar replete with a PhD. But if you don't have love, it's nothing. <laughs> Why? Because it's about your heart. God wants your heart. I mean, consider these scriptures. You don't, you don't have to look all these up. Just write down the reference. First Samuel sixteen seven. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. Second Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Did you hear that verse? God is, is, I mean, his eyes are going across the globe. He's looking, I'm just looking for somebody whose heart is fully mine so I can strengthen them. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God wants your heart. And listen, it's always been that way. A relationship with God from the very beginning of time was an issue of the heart. God's original intention, even when the law came in, was not an issue of performance. It was an issue of the heart. But one of the problems for people then is the same problem for people now, is that the one thing that God really cared about was the one thing they wouldn't do. And that was come to a place where they love God with all their heart no matter what. And not being able to do the one thing, the only thing that really mattered, they began to create other laws that they could keep that we now call religion. Religion is a very clever way to appear spiritual while not having to do the one thing God cares about. Which is loving with all your heart. See, it's a big deal. It's real important. You don't lose heart because your heart is important to all of life and God wants your heart. And because of that, listen to me, Satan attacks your heart. We have an enemy. And look, I know a lot of people blame stuff on the devil. I'm thinking, no, you're just a goofball. But, you know, for some people. But listen, I'm telling you, there is an enemy out there who hates your heart. He hates you. He wants nothing more than to destroy your love for our Father and your love for each other. 
John Eldridge in, in a book called Waking the Dead. And please get this right. I, I had a staff person who saw this uh, this week, this book, Waking the Dead. And, and they said, oh, man, you're going to quote The Walking Dead? I said, no, it's not The Walking That's a TV show. This is not The Walking This is Waking the Dead by John Eldridge. He said this. The sto- get this now, the story of your life is the story of a long and brutal assault on your heart. I think if you think about your life, you, you'll know that's true. He goes on, there really is a glory to your life that the enemy sees even if you don't see it. And listen, most of us don't. Most of us don't see the glory in our life. There really is a glory to your life that the enemy sees and he is hell-bent on destroying that glory before you can act on it. So he attacks your, what? Your heart. How does he do that? He tries to make us lose heart. Have you ever lost heart? I have. In the film, The Legend of Bagger Vance, the main character played by Matt Damon was the best golfer the South had ever seen, right? He was, just kind of had this natural swing. He could feel his swing, just totally instinctive. He became a legend even at a very young age. In fact, at a, in an amateur tournament one time, he teed off and he hit the ball so far, they stopped the tournament to measure the ball because nobody could believe he hit it that far. And then he went to the war. And in the war, he experienced things he he saw things that wounded his heart and caused something inside of him to die so that when he came home from the war the love of his life was of no interest to him this game that he loved to play it kind of been created by God to play he had this incredible swing he he just didn't play anymore and he hid from life and all he did was drink and he never golfed again and he lost his swing And what the film is about is his journey to finding his swing again. How many of you know that that movie was not about golf? Oh, some of you are like, really? Because there's a lot of golf in it. (laughs) That movie was about losing heart. It's about losing your swing. Let me ask you a question. You ever lost your swing? Did Did you even know you had one? I'm not talking about golf. It isn't golf, okay? Let that go. Have you lost heart? Since Paul knew it was so important, he knew God wanted our heart. He knew Satan attacked our heart. He did something else for us in this chapter. He gives us reasons not to lose heart. And I find it fascinating if you just read the chapter. This, and, and I would just commend this to you this week, just to spend some time meditating on 2 Corinthians 4. I find it fascinating and instructive to us that Paul's strategy in dealing with temptation to lose heart is and that temptation to give up is not to deny the toughness of the situation, but to deny that the situation is final. Did you get that? And his strategy, he said, we're not going to lose heart. He didn't say we're going to pretend like nothing's going wrong. He didn't do it that way. It wasn't to deny the situation. It was to deny that the situation is final. In fact, he admits that it's hard. I mean, he, Paul is a realist, right? He says, look, the, diff, the situation is difficult, but that, the situation is not the end of the story. In fact, verse 8, he says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, yes, we are, but not in despair. Persecuted, yes, we are, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. I can't read that verse 
with, are there certain verses that when you read, you hear a song in the background, like background music? Like when I hear, when I read the book of Daniel, I hear ACDC in the background, you know, just because, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's a bad guy, and that's the music. Well, I, I read this, you know, we, we get, uh, you know, this whole, um, you were struck down but not destroyed. I hear that song, I get knocked down, but I get up again. You ain't ever going to keep me down. You know that song? I get knocked down, but I get up again. You ain't ever going to keep me down. You don't know that song? Okay. I apologize for two things. Number one, for singing. Number two, that might be a bad song. I just realized. I hope it's not. But if it is, I apologize. It's, it's background music when I read this verse. Sorry. You know what Paul's saying? Paul is saying faith has within it a certain amount of defiance. I mean, listen to Paul's word. Yeah, it's tough. We are struck down. But it ain't over yet. We're not quitting. We do not lose heart. You can knock us down, but we're going to pop right back up. You know, when I was a kid, we had these little things called, you remember these? The Weebles. Y'all remember the Weebles? All right, look, raise your hand if you remember the Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Okay, a bunch of us. And, and what, you know, they're little egg-shaped little things, you know, and, and that's one kind. There's another kind. Um, yeah, that's the ones I remember right there. Do you remember those? They look just like that. Yeah. So they're, they're like an egg shape, and they've got weight in the bottom so they can weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. You, you can smack them, and they're going to pop right back up. Do you know why? Because they have a weight on the bottom of them. They are weighted to stand up. Here's what Paul is saying. As Christians, guess what? We are weighted to pop back up. We're built that way. And sometimes when you feel like you can't go on and you're tempted to lose heart, the problem is we're focused on the difficulty of the situation and we're forgetting the rest of the story. And the rest of the story is I've been waited to pop back up. Now, it's not always the case. Sometimes life just knocked the wind out of you. I mean, in the words of the former heavyweight champion, Mike Tyson, who you will never hear me quote again from the pulpit. He said, Everybody got a plan till they get hit. <laughs> and you know, he's right about that. Sometimes life just, has anybody ever had life just knock the wind out? You raise your hand if you've ever had that. Okay, sometimes that happens, okay? But sometimes it's not that at all. It's that we're focused on the situation instead of the rest of the story. And focusing on the problem leads to losing heart. You don't overcome the problem by focusing on the problem. Listen, you, don't, you know, if you've got a sin in your life you're trying to overcome, you don't overcome the sin by focusing on the sin. I mean, if you're struggling with lust, the way to overcome lust is not to say, don't lust, don't lust, don't lust, don't lust. Because you know, what, what are you thinking about? Lust! Okay, you know, if you, if you have an addiction of some sort, an alcohol addiction or some kind of drug addiction, the way to overcome it is not to go, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink. don't do that. You have to focus on something greater than the problem. The the, the Greeks had a story actually about this. And and this is not in the Bible. This is the story that the Greeks had uh, of a group called the Sirens. Uh, You remember the Sirens? There's these beautiful female creatures who have these unbelievable, beautiful, gorgeous voices. And, and, and they would be like on the, um, on the rocks uh, near the, the coastline and they would sing and, and, the, and the 
sailors would just be so enticed with their beauty and the beauty of the song, they would just bring their, you know, ships right in and crash into the rocks and they'd all die. The Greeks didn't have a high view of women or men, I guess, <laughs> you, you know, because these women are killing people and the men are like, uh, you know, it's just like, anyway. So some people were thinking, how are we going to do this? this? This temptation is so beautiful. People are dying. What are we going to do? And, and they tried different things, you know, ignore it. That didn't work. I think it was Odysseus. Uh, he put wax in his people's, his guy's ears, which, which worked for a little while until the wax fell out. It, it's kind of like, you know, people who are just like, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. That's kind of the way they fight temptation. But there was another guy, his name was Jason. Of Jason and the Argonauts, he had a better idea. He said, you know what? What if we create something more beautiful than what these sirens are singing? And so when the sirens started singing their song and the Argonauts were going by, he pulled out his harp and he began to sing. And he, and he created music that was more beautiful than the temptation. And they weren't tempted by it. They didn't go into it. That's what Paul is doing in this text. He's saying, let me give you something more beautiful. You want to you feeling like quitting? You feel like you're at the end of your rope? Let me give you something more beautiful. And so he gives us four reasons not to lose heart. Now, I'm going to go through these very quickly. So if you're taking notes, I think it would be helpful to write these down because you can go back to them later. Because maybe you're, today you're like, well, I'm not really feeling like I'm losing heart today. Okay. But we have an enemy. And we have to be ready. And, and, and there's going to be some point in your life where you're going to have to fight for your heart. I remember some years ago I was hanging out with Tom Edwards. You guys remember Tom Edwards? He, if you've been around church for a while, uh, he, he moved to Cincinnati. Uh, but we were, one day we were working on a door. Actually, he was working on the door. I was watching. Um, actually, the truth is he was working on the door, and I was making sure he didn't offend nobody. But anyway, and I love Tom Edwards. Everybody here lo- knows how you love him too. Uh, but you know what I'm saying. So, um, we started talking, and somehow it came out. Tom Edwards was a Marine. I guess once a Marine, always a Marine. And, um, and somehow it came up about being ambushed. He, he had been in combat before. And, and, and he said, you know, Tim, the thing about when you get ambushed, your, your instinct is to lay down or to run the other way. But he said, if you do that, you're dead. He said, when you, they train them that when, when you get ambushed by the enemy, you have to turn and fight through it. If, if there's an ambush, if there's enemy up here and they turn and they're firing and they surprise you, you can't lay down. You've got to turn and fight and push through it. And you might still die, but you might live. If you lay down, you're dead. If you run the other way, you're dead. You know what? If the enemy of your soul has ambushed your heart today, you can't lay down. If you lay down, you're dead. You can't run the other way. If you do that, you're dead. What are you going to do? You've got to fight. Fight for your heart. And Paul gives us reasons and ways to do that. Number one, he says, here's the, the reason you don't lose heart. Remember this. Number one, the glory of God. The glory of God. Look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. See, when you're in a tough situation and you feel like giving up and you don't know if you can go on, just remember this situation is an opportunity to glorify God. You have just been given an opportunity to show yourself, the world, and the devil that it's all about God. It ain't about you. This is about Jesus. And when you think that way, all of a sudden, it changes the way you see your problems. Because if you look at them that way, you're no longer a victim of your problem. You're a victor with something to conquer. 
Now, I know this is, what I'm about to say is cliche, and I apologize for using cliche, but this is true. You can't be a giant slayer if there's no giant. Again, more cliche, I apologize a second time. You can't have a testimony without a test. And a lot of times, the greater the testimony, the bigger the test. Why? Because it ain't about you. (laughs) So when you feel like giving up or quitting, just tell yourself, wait a second, this ain't even about me. In fact, I had had an event that happened on Wednesday of this week where, you know, we've been working for years. (laughs) I've been sowing seed for years into unity in this city among churches and among well, everybody, I mean, we want to tear down the Ninth Street divide. And, you know, I've been sowing seed. I've been going to the West End. I've been building relationships and everything. And something happened on Wednesday, which in that one fell swoop felt like in the moment, it's not true, but in the moment, it felt like it undermined everything we've been building for years. And I had this moment of just, you know, being devastated. And then I'm driving and it occurs to me, it ain't even about me. <laughs> Is that, thank, thank you for saying amen to that, Mavis. Uh, she's right. It's not about you. Uh, you know, that's very freeing. Very freeing. That's number one, the glory of God. Number two is the help of others. The help of others. Look at verse 15. All of this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Here's what Paul's saying. He says, we don't lose heart even in the midst of problems because it's going to be an opportunity to help people. And if you go back to chapter 1 again, in the same book, in verse 3, he said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Oh, man, I could preach on that all day. He is the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles. Look at the rest of the verse. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we have received from God. Oh, goodness, when you feel like you can't go on, remember, this will, in one way or another, this will be a way to help people. The comfort you received isn't just for you. It's supposed to be through you. Yes, it is for you. God does want to comfort you in your troubles. And then he wants you to take that and and give it to somebody else. Hey, have you ever noticed this in in this text in in chapter um, chapter 22 of Luke? Jesus is talking to Simon Peter. And he says in verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I'm praying for you. Now, just stop right there for a second. If I was Peter... What I would say is, don't pray for me, just tell him no. No, devil, go away, go away, shoo. I mean, like, but Jesus didn't, it, this is interesting. Satan said, I like to sift him as wheat. And so say, Jesus said, I'm praying for you. And look what he says, that your faith may not fail. And listen to the next sentence. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Much of what we go through isn't for us. Now, this is a perspective changer. I'm not going through everything I'm going through just for me. Yes, it is for me. It's to make me more Christ-like, more like Jesus. Yes, but it's also for you. This is why it's so important for us to tell our testimonies. 
to tell our stories to each other, what God has delivered us from, what God has provided for us, because you know what? You might have something I need. You know, if you, if you get around uh, um, people who are in high-stress uh, jobs, people like police officers, you get around a group of police officers. I don't know if you've ever done this. You get around a group of cops. You know what they start doing? Telling stories. I mean, within moments, they're, they're, they're telling stories, right? Uh, so, that, you know, one officer is saying, oh, yeah, man, I had this, you know, this one situation happened, and this person did this, and, this, and so I did this. And so what's happening? Testimony multiplies experience. Because these other officers, they're hearing what this officer says, and he said, I had this experience. So he has the experience. But in giving his testimony, what is he doing? He's giving this experience to these other guys. Now, he's, they've multiplied their experience. Firefighters do the same thing I've been around. Uh, uh, um, pastors do the same thing. Man, I was casting this demon out. You never believe what this woman said. I mean, you just, like, they start telling their stories. What is that? It multiplies experience. Why? Because the stuff you go through isn't just for you. It's for the rest of us, too. So why should you not lose heart? Number one the glory of God. Number two is the help of others. Number three is the perspective of eternity. Look at verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us. In other words, they work for us. An eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Here's the idea here. The ultimate end of something cast its shadow back over the whole thing and gives it meaning. Let me use this illustration. And I, and I have used this illustration before, but forgive me for this, but uh, th- there was a basketball game between the Seattle Supersonics at the time and the Phoenix Suns, and the, the Supersonics were up by three points with like a second and a half left. And with a second and a half left, Kentucky's own Rex Chapman, Got a ball as he was falling down behind the three-point line. He throws it up, and you would call it an impossible shot, except it went in, so it's just improbable shot. And it goes in, ties the game, they go into overtime. Now, in overtime, Seattle puts it on Phoenix. They win the game. After the game, Rex Chapman's being interviewed, and they're asking him, that was an unbelievable shot. And here's what he said. Well, it was great at the time, but we let the opportunity it gave us get away. I'm sure it was exciting to watch, But it's just a basket and a loss. Now, if they had won the game, it would have taken on more meaning. But since they lost, it was just three more points and a loss. Now, stick with me. If you don't believe there's a life after this one, if you don't believe there's an eternity in which every wrong is going to be made right, then you have to believe that even the good things in this life are just another basket and a loss. There's no meaning, there's no value. But if, like Paul, we remember there is another world and we win, then we can believe that even the hard things in this life are achieving for us a glory that we can't even comprehend right now. And that gives meaning to our suffering. It gives meaning and value to even the hard things. Listen, Paul knew about suffering. I don't have time, but you could flip over a few chapters to chapter 11 and he gives you a catalog of his suffering. I mean, he received the 40 lashes minus one, five times, three times, beaten with rods. He got stoned one time, and I don't mean smoking dope. I mean, they threw stones at him. Shipwrecked. He went without sleep. He was concerned about the church. I mean, 
And this guy says, whatever suffering you go through in light, in light of eternity, it is light and momentary. Teresa of Avila put it this way. The most horrible life on earth will be seen from the viewpoint of heaven to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. And, and by the way, she knew something about suffering. Why should we not lose heart? Because all the troubles in this life are light and momentary, and they're working for us. You know what? When you go through stuff, your problem wants you to think that you work for your problem. No, your problem works for you. Have you ever seen two kids when one's trying to boss the other one around, and one of them says, you ain't the boss of me? How many have heard that? How many have said that? You ain't the boss of me. How many have said that to your spouse this week? You ain't the boss of me. No, oh, oh, oh. Eddie Horn. Well, okay. Uh, you ain't the boss of me. I wish I could have been there for that. Actually, that would have been awesome. Um, I almost lost the Holy Ghost. Well, I said, oh, yeah. You know what? You need to tell not your spouse, but your problem. You ain't the boss of me. I don't work for you. You work for me. You're achieving for me a eternal glory that outweighs anything bad going on. Man, if you're tempted to lose heart, my prayer for you is that God would change your perspective that this life is not all. Listen, this stuff, this is just a preview of coming attractions. Fourth and finally, and most importantly, the reason we're not the people who lose heart. Paul's saying we, we, we don't lose heart. He's just telling us that's who we are. The reason we don't do that is Jesus. I mean, if you read this chapter straight through, Paul refers to Jesus seven times, and he uses the title Christ twice. So nine times in this one chapter, and that's if we don't count the pronouns he, just the name Jesus and the title Christ, he uses it nine times in one chapter. Now, if today in my message I referred to my wife Marlene nine times, what would you think? Well, the more cynical among you would think, Man, Tim must have screwed up Valentine's Day on Thursday. He's trying to make up for it today. Yes, you would. The cynical ones among you. That's what you there, There's some Eeyores here, and, 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 and because Eeyore's just negative about everything, you would say, I just don't like that when he talks about his wife. Really? Why? Because I'm Eeyore and I'm negative about everything. Okay. But there's some romantics here who would go, oh, he loves his wife. But here's what all of you would say, cynics, Eeyores, and romantics. He won't shut up about his wife, again with the Marlene stories. <laughs> Listen, there is no way, no way to read 2 Corinthians 4 without seeing the centrality of Jesus to Paul. Paul won't shut up about Jesus. I'm sure the Corinthians were like, <laughs> Paul with the Jesus thing again. Paul loves Jesus. Paul is all about Jesus. Paul wants his life to reflect Jesus. He wants his life to point to Jesus. He wants to exalt Jesus. That's why he says in verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus. We preach Jesus Christ, not just Jesus. Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Listen, the center of Paul's faith is not a doctrine. Look, I believe in doctrine. In fact, you've never met a charismatic pastor who believes in doctrine more than I do, okay? I believe in doctrine. But the center of Paul's faith is not a doctrine. It's not a principle. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. And he is Lord. The reason Paul doesn't give up, he doesn't lose heart at the end of the day is Jesus. And the same has to be true of you. 
Ooh, if you're relying on a doctrine or a principle to keep you from giving up and losing heart, you're in big trouble. Do you know why? Because that means it's up to you. You better know that doctrine perfectly. You better perform that principle flawlessly. You better have sterling faith and never, ever doubt. Why? Because it's all up to you. If the center of your faith is a doctrine, you don't have a relationship with God. You have a religion. You can't have a relationship with the doctrine. You only have relationships with a person. Jesus Christ is the center. Jesus Christ is Lord. The reason we don't lose heart is Jesus. It's his finished work on the cross. It's the gospel. The gospel is not, I got to be good enough to be approved by God. The gospel is you will never be good enough to be approved by God, but Jesus was, and we get in in him. That's the gospel. The reason we don't lose heart, it's Jesus that strengthens us. It's Jesus by his spirit that sustains us and empowers us with his presence that keeps us from losing heart. So if today you came in here feeling like giving up, and you're losing heart, I would, just, I would just invite you back to Jesus. Just, just come back to Jesus. I'll close with this. In the 18th century, during the Stuart Troubles, the Marquis of Huntley, who was loyal to the crown, was, was captured. And as he was being brought into the area where they were going to try him, they walked in past, past the block where they would behead people, and there was an axe in the wood. And his captors pointed at that and said, unless you abandon your loyalty, you will be executed right here today. And his reply was one of those zingers of history. You know what I'm talking about? I hope right before I die, I get a zinger. I'm like, zing! Here's what he said. You may take my head from my shoulders, but you will never take my heart from my king. Zing! You know what Paul says? In this text he says, I don't lose heart. We, we don't lose heart. Why? Because my heart belongs to Jesus. And you may take my head from my shoulders. And they did. Tradition has it that Paul was beheaded because he was a Roman citizen. He got the more painless death for Jesus under Nero's persecution. You may take my head from my shoulders. But you will never take my heart from my king.